This is Neon Radio, episode 142, with Emily Fletcher. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Neon Radio. This week, we have a returning guest, three-time all-star, Miss Emily Fletcher. We're talking about different tools, primarily meditation, to help you de-stress your mind and body on a daily basis because we all operate as better humans, better creatives, and better entrepreneurs when we get rid of the stress that we have on a daily basis. I've been a big advocate of meditation since I learned about three years ago, and it's been a huge tool for me throughout my creative journey in de-stressing on a daily basis. It's it's helped get rid of anxiety and, and stress, and it's been huge. If you want to head over to neonradio.com slash EP66, you can hear Emily Fletcher's full story. But on this podcast, we have some new and updated neuroscience around this meditation and new benefits and new creativity hacks. Also, if you're new to this podcast, you can go over to Apple Podcasts and search Neon Radio. That's N-I-O-N. And you can subscribe over there. You can also take the Neon Life quiz, which we've set up for you guys over at neonlife.com slash quiz. And we will serve you up some content to help you in your creative journey wherever you are at. It's free. All you have to do is hop on over there, take the quiz, and let us get to know you a little bit more and see where we can help. So we also have the Neon Life Community uh, Facebook group over at neonlife.com slash community. You can join other creatives in the journey, connect with them, share your work, get comments and questions answered by your fellow creatives. So with that, I give to you the one, the only, Miss Emily Fletcher. We're here with Emily Fletcher on Neon Radio for the third time. Am I your first third time guest? You are. You are. I feel very special. We've had a lot of two, a few two timers. You're the first third timer. I like being the first third. (laughs) The first (laughs) third. first. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And the subject of meditation, because meditation has been a huge component of my creative process since I've met you. I've been meditating for what now? Two years? Three years? Two and a half, Two and I a half, say. I think. We met at that party. We did. I was on a swing. <laughs> <laughs> you were. You were, at, you were at it. You were I at it. Swing, and we had the most interesting conversation, and I liked your eyes so much. You were so curious and so open. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, I love the way that you talk about meditation, and that's what drew me in in that, in that initial talk that you did on the neuroscience of, of meditation. So we're back. We have more new updated info, more neuroscience, and we want to talk about meditation as a catalyst for creativity and as a tool to boost your creativity. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go back and check out the other episodes and get the full backstory, you can do that. We'll list those links on the page 
and then we'll just kind of start diving in from yeah. from where we left off. Yeah, we'll go deeper, and we'll talk about all the new stuff that's happening in the land of Ziva, the new stuff that's happening in the land of neuroscience. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's actually start with uh, what's happening new in the in the world of Ziva. Okay, so we actually just launched a new course called Ziva Online, mm. and. This is a product of, my team and I have been working on this for 15 months, and it came out of, I started teaching, I got really clear on the fact that people come to me when they want to perform at the top of their game. And sometimes those are actually performers, like Ooh. actual creative performers, but sometimes it's people that are, I want to be a better mom, I want to be a better entrepreneur, I want to perform better at whatever my role is in life. And so people come to me when they're ready to really like step into their full potential. And meditation is a huge part of that. I'd say that meditation is even the foundation and the bedrock of that. Mm. But I realized that there are these other tools that I was using and sometimes even customizing for people. And so I basically wanted to put those into the foundation of the training. So we formulated something called the Ziva Technique, which right. is new, um, which is this beautiful trifecta. I'm going to put my tea down. Trifecta. This is like our new Ziva gang sign. <laughs> the Ziva gang sign. I love it. Um, of, it's a trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. Okay. And I think previously we've largely talked exclusively about meditation, not mm. about mindfulness or manifesting. And and the tricky thing where, where that can be tricky is that a lot of people are using the words mindfulness and meditation as synonyms. Um, mm. They're not actually the same thing. Like right. the Cliff's Notes difference, which I think we talked about in other podcasts, but just as a nice review, yeah. is like mindfulness is more of a directed focus mental technique. Mm -hmm. It's like a guided visualization, breath work, most of the apps, the YouTube videos out there, most of us are what I would actually call mindfulness. Right, right. right? So it's like really good at, at dealing with your stress in the now. Yeah. Right. Like my boss yelled at me, I listened to this headspace for 10 minutes, I feel better in the now. <laughs> awesome. Versus meditation, and certainly what we teach at Ziva, you're actually giving your body very deep healing rest. Rest that's about five times deeper than sleep. Mm. And when you do that, you de-excite your nervous system and you create order in your cellular memory. So you actually start to heal things on a cellular level. And so what we're doing is that we're getting rid of the stress from our past. So mindfulness, very good at dealing with your stress in the now. Meditation, very good at getting rid of your stress from the past. And it's ultimately that eradication of stress from your nervous system that allows you to increase your performance capabilities. Mm. And, you know, like you and I were talking about earlier, it's also the less stress you have in your body, the less sort of traumatic, bigger consciousness experiences can be. Like if you go <laughs> right. and do like a 10-day silent meditation retreat, or if you were to like try acid for the first time, like a lot of people go through like some deep, dark times when they do that because they haven't necessarily had the tools to exercise the demons out of their cells previously. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting too because I think people that have had like a lot of trauma in their life, that gets stored in the body and the nervous system. And, and even in your genes. Mm. So like not only in your cells, so like a lot, I mean, I think some people understand that like, yes, our stress gets stored in our tissues, but some new things that are that we're starting to discover is that it actually, that stress gets stored and affects your genetic code. Really? So in the past like two years, they've, you know, CRISPR, which is a company that I think Peter Diamandis co-founded. And they've, for the first time in the past few years, they've been able to like decode uh, the human genome. And wow. it used to take like three months and a hundred million dollars in order to do it. So you could actually edit your own genetic sequence. Oh like God. to figure out like, well, this is the gene that has my cancer in it. Or this is the gene that has whatever other ailments. So you could start to edit your own genetic sequence. And feel free to fact check me on this because like my exact numbers or dates might be a little off. Yeah. But it was, a, I know hundred million is correct, but it might've been like three months or a year to figure it out. Now you can do the same process for like a thousand dollars and in 30 minutes. So like Whoa. this technology is really um, 
it's becoming more advanced exponentially and it's becoming cheaper exponentially. So as we're starting to understand like the human genetic code more in depth, we're starting to realize that stress is impacting not only the way that your genes show up in your genetic expression, but actually like what you pass down to different generations. Wow. Um, there's a beautiful book called Origins by a woman who gave a TED talk by the same name. And she did like these large scale studies of, of women that were under extreme amounts of stress, like at 9-11, like there was a famine in Denmark, I believe. And then what stress got passed down to those children, because it was the you know big scale, like thousands and thousands of people being impacted. Yeah. So the things that we're knowing now, one, you can stress can impact things generationally. Like so things can be passed down like blood, blood memory from generation to generation. And two, um, that stress is impacting not only the way Basically, it's affecting your epigenetics, mm -hmm. which is 95% of your genetic code. Only 5% of your genes are your actual genes, like meaning that they are like stationary, mm. like fixed. Yeah. Only 5% of your genes are fixed. The other 95% are epigenetics, which means that they're in charge of turning on and off the other 5%, which means that they're malleable. Wow. So this is, it's big stuff, which means that every meditation that you do, every bite of food that you eat, every time you exercise, that is affecting your epigenetics, which is the thing that's turning on and off your actual genes, mm. which I think is very empowering. It, it can be intimidating. We're like, oh God, I have to think about every bite of food and every workout and every meditation, but it's like also empowering because it means you don't have to just deal with the hand you were dealt. Right. And you can pass that on to your kids too. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. So this is—I'm guessing this is part of the new neuroscience that's been been discovered as of late too, right? Mm. So there's and, and more and mm -hmm. more obviously. Yeah, and more. <laughs> so I think that this is an exciting time to be alive because neuroscience is kind of catching up to what these Indian dudes have been saying for six thousand years, and as more and more high performers start outing themselves as meditators, yeah. I think it's inspiring more and more neuroscientists to research the impacts of meditation on consciousness and cognitive function. Yeah. And so it's becoming this sort of upward spiral that the more people that out themselves, the more neuroscience there is, the more neuroscience there is, the more the skeptics are feeling inspired to start. And so it's becoming a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, which is great. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so if you look at graphs of like the 70s to now, of how many neuroscientists were studying the effects of meditation on the brain versus now, it's like there was like one study in the 70s and now there's thousands happening. Oh, wow. So it's like almost every week there seems to be new science coming out. And some of the coolest that I've enjoyed learning about are, there's a guy named Srini Pillay, and he's a psychiatrist at Harvard. Mm -hmm. And he's actually, he wrote a book called The Power of the Unfocused Mind. I believe that's the title. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll link it up in the show yeah. notes okay, for great. sure. So, but basically he's talking about, and here he is, this like Harvard trained psychiatrist. And he's talking about the power and the value of structuring time into your day to unfocus, which is exactly what Ziva meditation is. It's not mm. about concentrating. It's not about like chanting. It's not about clearing your mind. It's actually time where you go in and you use a mantra, yes, but the mantra is not a focusing tool. It's a forgetting device. Mm. And it's designed to help you access more subtle states of consciousness. And, and you're actually starting to increase like a simultaneity of consciousness. So, you know, a lot of what we teach is that thoughts are not the enemy and that you're allowed to have thoughts. And it almost feels like a bit of a daydreamy type state that you're in, sort of in between waking and sleeping. Yeah. So it is this curated, cultivated, structured time. But inside of the time, you're 
you're really unfocusing, you're really surrendering, you're really giving your body this deep healing rest. Mm. And, and what his whole book is about is, is the power of using unfocus to make you more focused on the other side. Yeah. And I think where this gets confusing for people is that people that don't have any training or don't have a, t a technique that's made for them, they go into the meditation and try to focus there and they try to clear their minds. They're trying to do monastic practices even though they're not monks. Right. And it feels frustrating. They feel like they're failing. They can't clear their mind and then they quit. Versus this, you know, I mean, A, he's a Harvard psychiatrist, so it's just nice to be like, you know, backed up by that. Yeah, absolutely. But it just sort of validates everything that we teach at Ziva. It's like you take this little break in your day to be unfocused, to be lazy, to take almost like a nap sitting up, and then you have this hit of productivity and creativity and clarity on the other side, right? So it's not about how focused you are in the sitting itself. It's about right. what happens to your cognitive performance afterwards. Ooh. So that's the performance piece of it. Mm. Yes. And... Um, so really with this trifecta, so we have like the mindfulness, which we use, I like to use the mindfulness, um, like for my high performers, they tend to also be high achievers, right? So they like just go, 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 they have 60 mile an hour days. And for especially people starting out, it's very hard for them to go from like the momentum and inertia of their day to just like <laughs> goodbye and like this like deep nap time rest of meditation. <laughs> right. And so, and sometimes stopping the momentum is the most challenging, difficult part. Yeah. And so I give, I give people mindfulness almost as an appetizer, almost as a warm-up, as something active for them to do as to transition point from the busyness of their day into the rest yeah. and rejuvenation of the meditation. So, you know, like I said, mindfulness is more of a left brain waking state. We also use mindfulness as a tool to help people with sort of like the emotional and physical detox that can mm. happen for folks. And, you know, you and I had many a phone conversation in the beginning of your <laughs> meditation career. Oh, my God. It was in so intense, but <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. like, And this is a, often a surprise to people because they, they think, oh, I'm meditating. I should just be floating on a cloud of bliss for the rest of my life. But sorry, like that Taco Bell that you ate in high school and that Jack Daniels you drank in college and that breakup last year, like that's in your body. <laughs> and that <laughs> yes. has to go somewhere. And so... We use the mindfulness also as a tool to help people when they're going through that purging process mm. because that stuff will come up and out, not only in the meditation, but also during your day. Right. And so I want to make sure that people are equipped and armed with tools so that they're not like quitting their jobs, breaking up with people, moving, like making big life decisions just because their body's going through a bit of like a detox. Yeah. So yeah. we use the mindfulness in two ways there. And then sort of the really new piece for us is the manifesting. And I think that this will be interesting to your folks. I get some pushback on the manifesting from like... <laughs> whatever, like my CEO clients and like super hard charging, like science left brain folks. Yeah. And they're like, oh God, you want me to like sit around and get high and like secret my dreams? Like I have to work for a living. I'm like, I understand. <laughs> I'm not telling you not to work. But to me, manifesting simply means consciously creating a life you love. It's yeah. getting clear on what it is that you actually want. And it is constantly fascinating to me how few people take the time to actually do that. Yeah. And if you, I mean, you know, do this experiment next time you're at a party and just ask people, like, what's your dream job? Or what's your dream income? Or what does your dream relationship look like? And 90% of the time, they can't say it. They can be like, well, my relationship would be good if my boyfriend would just go to therapy and like, we just don't hang out. And they just, they, they literally can't even articulate the dream without going through like seven to 10 minutes of complaining about their current circumstances. Interesting. Yeah. And to the idea of just like placing the order. Now I know that you and I are in a bit of an echo chamber. Like we roll with people that are pretty <laughs> like conscious about how they live their lives. <laughs> but I'm talking about like, you know, the general population. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and where this gets tricky is that even with creative entrepreneurs, 
when your creativity becomes your job, you know, sometimes it loses some of that like magic or that like sparkle, yeah. which we can talk about in a minute. But specifically, if we go back to the manifesting, to me, the point in that is, is twofold. One, taking the time to actually ask yourself, what is it that I want? And two, taking the time to place the order with the cosmic waitress at the cosmic restaurant. Right. Who is ready and willing to deliver our order whenever <laughs> we want. It's just sometimes we forget to place the order. Yeah. We're just, you know, I just, I need, I just need to lose weight. And I just need a boyfriend. I just want more money. And like, we think we're manifesting and actually we're just complaining. Right. Right. And so manifesting, it's like, it's specificity. And I actually teach people tools to get into the headspace and into the feeling space as if their dreams are happening now. Right. So we start watering the flowers versus inadvertently watering the weeds. Absolutely. Well, and when people are complaining or living in a negative space, you're actually manifesting that. You're drawing more of that into your life. Yeah. And and or like even like prayer can be mask mask as like worshiping the absence between or sorry, worshiping the distance between where you are and where you want to be. Mm. Right? Of like, when am I gonna get a boyfriend? Why does she have a boyfriend and I don't? When am I gonna make a million dollars? And it's like that desire is sometimes uh intoxicating. Yeah. You know, it makes us it gives us the illusion of productivity because we have some sort of a feeling inside. Yeah. When actually our job is to act as if, to believe that we deserve it. And what I've found is that the combination of meditation and manifesting is much more powerful than either one alone, right? Because you can meditate all day, but if you don't take the time to get clear about what you want to create, yeah. then it's hard for nature to deliver. And conversely, you could make vision boards all day, every day, but if you don't believe that you deserve it, if your body is riddled with stress and you're constantly playing that anxiety script in your head, mm -hmm. again, that thing ain't coming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I want to jump into some of this other stuff, but I kind of figured, like, why don't we just do, like, a super quick review of what Vedic meditation, mantra-based meditation mm -hmm. is, just so we're, we're in the space and people listening to this episode in specific can understand, like, have a light understanding. Yeah, cool. So one thing to know is that I've, I'm not, I'm sort of not teaching Vedic meditation anymore. I'm teaching the Ziva technique. Oh. And yeah, so okay. that's all exciting. And I've sort of broken from that community. Got it. And however, the meditation portion of the Ziva technique is based on something that I would call uh, Nishkam Karma Yoga. Okay. Uh, which is, so that's just a fancy Sanskrit way of saying Union attained by action hardly taken. Hmm. Union attained by action hardly taken, <laughs> or what I like to call the lazy man's meditation. <laughs> All right. So if folks have not studied with me, I feel like I'm just assuming that everyone in your podcast is like taking my class, but that is probably not the case. I mean, a lot of people have like probably heard the mm -hmm. podcast before. So I mean, yep. this is a good like good distinction between what 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 was and what is now. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, but but so like the meditation portion is is still largely the same. It's more of like a community shift that's happened. Got it. Um, but I think that this term Nishkam Karma Yoga, even though it sounds kind of fancy in Sanskrit, it is very clear. It, it clearly illustrates how this technique is different from a lot of other styles of meditation, which are really more mindfulness. Based, you know, yeah. more focused, more left brain, more waking state, um, where you're like counting your breaths or visualizing something or listening to a guided audio, which is keeping you more in your left brain. At Ziva, what we do is that we use mantras, um, which 
that word is also tricky because it's been hijacked by the wellness industry. And a lot of people think that a mantra is like a slogan or an affirmation, right? Yeah. right? Like, um, I'm a strong, angry woman, or like, I deserve a million dollars. And I would call those slogans or affirmations, right? right. Great, useful, not the same thing as mantras. Um, the mantras that we use, man means mind and trap means vehicle. So these are mind vehicles. Right. And the ones that we do in our in-person training are meaningless primordial sounds. And it's actually the sound of the mantra that helps to de-excite the nervous system and to induce that deep healing rest I was talking about. Got that it. rest that gets rid of your stress from the past. Um, in our online training, um, the mantras that we use are a little bit gentler. So in Ziva Online, you are given a mantra, but they're a little bit gentler than what we do face-to-face, -face, and that's by design. Got because, it. you know, as you know, it can be quite intense, you know, going through the in-person training. Yeah. And it's important for me to see someone face-to-face -face and to be able to help them through that journey. Yeah. Um, because we call it unstressing, you know, it's like that detox, that unwinding. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, especially if someone's dealing with depression or anxiety or trauma, they just need a community and some support around that. So we, we made the online course as powerful and as effective as possible without putting people in sort of like a dangerous situation, even if they like didn't finish the course or something. So yes, yeah, so we basically are using a mantra, but they're not to be focused on. So a lot of people will think like, oh, well, I'll have like mala beads and I'll say, I'll repeat a mantra every time I touch a bead. That's actually called japa meditation. Mm. And that is where you are using a mantra, but it, you're focusing on it. And the point is to stay focused. Whereas we're really using these mantras almost as forgetting devices, as a tool to help us access that surrender, to access that brain cohesion to access that deep healing rest mm -hmm. and it really i mean the best analogy i have to describe for people who haven't experienced it yet is that it's almost like a nap sitting up yeah. and so it's like when you sleep you're not trying to sleep you're like okay blood like clean out all right skin get rid of all my old dead skin cells all right liver <laughs> start cleaning my you know immune system like you're not doing any of that stuff when you sleep. It just happens. You just yeah. fall asleep and the body runs a whole host of maintenance functions. Similar thing happens in Ziva in that you're not trying to meditate and yet the body starts running a whole host of healing operations. It's like shutting down your computer and then turning it back on and suddenly everything's fresher and faster and all the new software has been installed. Yeah. That's kind of what we're doing with this. I love that. I love that. Well, so now let's jump into a little bit. How does How does it help with creative performance mm, mm -hmm. so I used to be on Broadway for 10 years and I used to teach acting for about five years and so I used to fancy myself like the world's leading expert on creativity and meditation and just because I, I was this like creative performing artist and then I was teaching people and I taught a lot of my acting students to meditate so I sort of saw firsthand how mm. the meditation was impacting their acting performance and people would sometimes go from unwatchable and I mean unwatchable <laughs> to like standing ovations in the middle of class like an acting class people standing up in like weeks like wow. one or two weeks so this wasn't a matter of like their technique getting better or like their talent increasing this was a matter of them being able to tap into the actual source of creativity this is a matter of them getting out of their own way this is a matter of them letting go of that lifetime of self-criticism and watching themselves and inhibiting or not listening to their own creative instincts, right? And all of those things are products of stress, Yeah. right? Like if you're spending your whole life in your left brain, reviewing the past and rehearsing the future, running that script of I suck, I suck, I suck, I'm gonna dial in with cats eating my face, 
Like it's very hard for you to hear those little whispers of creativity. It's very hard for you to hear those whispers of inspiration and intuition. And so what meditation is doing is that we're utilizing that mantra, but we're accessing the right brain. And we're actually taking the right brain to the gym every single time we meditate. And in the beginning, it's sort of an either or phenomenon. Like people feel a little discombobulated for a while because a lot of people aren't used to using their right brain. (laughs) They're used to functioning exclusively on that like think, take action, achieve, make money so I can be happy in the future. That left brain, just like logical, analytical, critical mind. Yeah. And when that pendulum starts to swing into the right brain, it feels a little... um, like wobbly for a minute, like you're a calf, like walking on your legs for the first time. Mm -hmm. But what happens over time is that the pendulum stops swinging so either or, and it starts to be and. We start to really increase this brain cohesion, this neuroplasticity, and we also strengthen something called the corpus callosum, which is the thin white strip that connects the right and left hemispheres of the brain. Mm. And so how that impacts creativity is that we know that our right, and, and admittedly, this is a gross oversimplification of right brain, left brain. Right. But for the purposes of this, I think it will be fine. Like right brain is the home of creativity, creative problem solving, intuition, connectedness, color, music. All of these things are right brain phenomenon. And so over time, as we start to increase neural cohesion and increase brain elasticity, and strengthen that corpus callosum, then it stops being either or, that you're either in your analytical mind or you're in your creative mind, yeah. and you actually start to be in both. And that allows you to access that creative problem solving. It allows you to access that inspiration even in the middle of a high-stress situation, right. even when it counts, even when it's go time. So if you're a creative entrepreneur, the hypothesis there is that your income is now dependent on your ability to perform creatively Absolutely. when it's go time, <laughs> yeah. right? So you just being like a brilliant genius in your house when you're high, like that might be fun for you, but it's not going to impact your bottom line and it's not going to make your clients happy, mm-hmm. right? So if we really, if you start to turn this into a business, like whatever your passion is, then you really need to be firing on both cylinders. Like you need that critical mind and that past future and like the invoicing, and like the ability to be like, I'm in <laughs> yeah. this huge celebrity, you know, and I feel nervous and I feel like my integrity is being questioned right now. But you have to still be able to tap into that creative genius. Yeah. And what I found is that meditation allows you to do that. You can just perform like no matter the stakes. Right. Um, because you start to see that it's not about you. If you're just in your left brain, then everything's about you, right? Everything's pass or fail. Everything's about your ego. Everything's about your small self. But if you start to tap into that right brain, that's the piece of us that's connected to everyone and everything. That's It's like... My analogy is if you think about creativity itself, like um, like like the like Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. like the actual Wi-Fi signal, yeah. our right brains are the routers. Okay, mm. so like as we start to turn on our right brain, it's like we're turning on the router and tapping in to the Wi-Fi signal that is collective intelligence, creativity itself. Yeah. So you start finding those creative downloads start coming more often they become less precious because they're happening all the time right 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 well it's kind of like i've been toying around this whole idea of hustle and flow and i mean uh, there was a movie about it i think you know but like there's so much talk about hustle 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 all the time but i think especially with creatives there's got to be a space for you know, to be able to a say I'm going to hustle and I'm going to create and I'm going to go after it. I'm going to create goals or I'm going to create these things, but then also flow with creativity and allow space for 
for us to flow, which, you know, create your moments is kind of like that whole idea. It's like you're creating the space for moments to happen. So I feel like meditation is kind of like a, a catalyst or a tool to really help accentuate that. Yes, a thousand percent. And I love, I've never really used that term, hustle and flow, but I but I think about the concepts all the time because it is exactly right brain, left brain. Yeah. Right? It's It's left brain hustle, like schedule it, show up on time, do your homework, be prepared. But if you do that work of, of hustling, then you afford yourself the luxury and the opportunity of flowing mm. when it's time to create. And I saw this time and time again with my acting students is that, you know, oftentimes they wouldn't do the work, yeah. right? Like they wouldn't read the script. They wouldn't highlight their stuff. They wouldn't print out the things. They wouldn't meet with their acting partner beforehand. And then they would show up to class and they would effort their pants off. <laughs> like, look how good I can cry. Look how angry I can be. Versus the, the, the actors that did the work, they read the script, they printed it out, they highlighted it, they met with their person beforehand. They, were, they felt prepared, they trusted the work that they had done, and that afforded them the luxury of being able to flow, being able to surrender, being able to be in the moment when it was time to create. Yeah. And so I, I really love this idea that the discipline creates freedom, mm. right? And, and I think that sometimes our ego, our identity, or our personality likes to identify with one or the other. I'm type A. I'm controlling. I'm just an executor. That's just who <laughs> I am. I don't, I don't create. I don't make art with my kids. Or, and then when we have the other side of the spectrum, it's like, I'm just an artist. I'm just a creative. I just like to make art naked in my house with my finger paints while I'm high. And it's like, okay, what if you have both? <laughs> right. You know, like what if you could actually give yourself the discipline that affords you the opportunity of flow? Right. And I think that if you actually look at a human brain, it splits right down the middle, 50-50. Yeah. And I don't think that nature makes mistakes. I don't think that nature would have given us 50-50 if it wanted us to use 90-10 in either direction. And so to me, meditation just gives you a balance, right? It's like being cardiovascularly fit and muscularly fit. You're doing your cardio and your weight training. Mm -hmm. But then you get the choice of which one, which one of those skills do you want to use. Yeah. And, but, if, but if you only have one muscle developed and not the other, then you are rendered choiceless, but not in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah. You need the, you need the discipline to create the, the space to flow and the space mm -hmm. to let that creativity just go it's it's way it's yeah. mighty way yeah and like you have a, you have a mat a bathroom mat in your bathroom that says create something every day even if it sucks yeah and i love that so much i have a video called just do it even if you suck and <laughs> i love it and, and, the, and like you're such a good example of this right because you do create you lead with creation you're creating all the time and i'm sure sometimes you're not happy with the results of it but you have the discipline at this point you created for so long that probably the days that you're not happy with your results everyone else thinks like oh, it's brilliant, right? Like my dad said something to me when I was a little girl. He said, work so hard that people will pay to see your worst day. Work so hard that people will pay to see your worst performance. I love that. And I was like, yeah, right? And I feel like I'm finally in that place, like as a speaker and as a teacher, where it's like, even if I'm having an off day, even if I'm six and a half months pregnant, even if I just flew for three days straight, I can still get off a plane, show up in front of a thousand people, not be prepared and give a talk. And it's still like something that people would pay money for. And that's taken me, you know, six years of practice. That's taken me thousands and thousands of hours of just teaching and speaking and podcast interviews yeah. to get to that place. But it's like I've done these years of discipline and just doing it to now I can really kind of just flow and let myself just trust 
that nature will use me as a vessel, that nature will use me as a tool. But I think to say it's either or is doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Well, it's like you put in that time and you've created that subconscious structure or default, as I like to kind of talked about before, is you create your your default and you got to always be expanding your default but when your default becomes up here and people will pay you for your default that's like up here then you have the space to play in your creative world as well and that's like where you get to be more experimental like it's you know you get to test new things new material things like that yeah i love that and i, and I love that and it's uh it sounds like you you've been well on your way with with you know the last few years and you're writing it book and mm -hmm. all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, it's been, last year I feel like 2017 was the year of just re-examining, like going to the drawing board as far as strategy, what is the Ziva technique, what do, what tools are really helping my students. I've taught over 7,000 people to meditate now. Amazing. So it's like I have a body of, of evidence and experience and anecdotal um, knowledge that I was able to then pour into this sort of new in incarnation. So yeah, last year was all about foundation. We changed uh, tech platforms. We designed this new course. I wrote a book. I found a new studio. We got a new team. I made a baby. I'm gonna make a baby. <laughs> so it's been like a lot of like internal growth to prepare for this year, which is like launching. We just launched this new course. We're launching the book. You know, so it's um, it's also I think good to acknowledge those seasons as creative entrepreneurs. You know, because it's so easy, especially in the age of social media to like judge your success based on everyone else's highlight reel, you know? And if, if you've been doing a lot of internal work, like it was not sexy work, like changing our tech platforms, you know, right. it's a ton of work, but no one can see the work. There's nothing for you to post about on Instagram, right. but, but you know that you're building that foundation. And sometimes it's like, we just want to get to the success spot. We just want to get to the thing that we have to show, but we got to plant the seeds. You know, we got to water those seeds. We got to fertilize those seeds and then eventually they grow. Absolutely. I was just reading this book, uh, Art and Fear. I don't mm. know if you ever read it, but oh. it's fantastic. Mm. But it's funny because he's like, they say like most artists dream of the work that they create it, not actually creating it. Say it one more time. Most artists dream of the work that they create versus the act of actually creating it. Oh, that's so good. It's true. And my husband has a thing. I don't know. This is not his quote, but he said that, I don't know whose this is, but it's uh, the only day that people like writing a book is the day that they start and the day that they finish. <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. <laughs> that is true. Like the only part I liked about writing the book was telling people that I got a book deal with HarperCollins. <laughs> Like everything else was like agonizing and torturous because I'm such an extrovert and I love being with people so much and I yeah. love teaching face-to-face -face so much and being at events and speaking at conferences. So me like alone at my computer is like my own form of hell. And so <laughs> it was really, um, but, but then I love being able to say like, I just handed in my manuscript and I'm sure I'll love the book launch. But it is fascinating to just, to just call yourself on your own stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. So what would you say the number one myth of meditation is? Ooh, that one's easy. People think that the point is to clear the mind. Mm. Right? There's like one dude going around telling everybody to clear their minds and we got to find him and we got to teach him how to meditate because it would make my job so much easier <laughs> and it would make people's meditation careers so much more enjoyable. Because if you think the point is to clear the mind, then they then you go in, you're like, okay, brain, shut up. Sure would like some snacks. Maybe she eats more anchovies. <laughs> oh, it's sardines. <laughs> sardines. <laughs> Wait, now I'm thinking about sardines. 
wait, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about sardines. I suck at meditation. I quit. And that's like the beginning and the end of most people's meditation career. Um, <laughs> and so here's the thing to know. If you've ever tried meditation and you've ever felt frustrated because you couldn't clear your mind, you are not a meditation failure. Okay. I promise you can meditate. You just need some training. You just need a technique that is designed for you. And you need an accurate gauge of how to gauge your success, which is this. How am I performing at life? How's my sleep? How's my sex? How's my parking karma? How's my creativity? How's my compassion? How's my immune system? This is how we judge if the meditation is working, not how many or few thoughts am I having when I'm sitting quietly in a chair. Yeah. No one cares if you're a good meditator. I wish they did. I'm very competitive. <laughs> I would love to be the best meditator in the land. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. It is a means to an end. We meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. Yeah. And so I'd say that's the number one one. But I'd say a close second is we think we should already know how to do it mm. because it's simple. People assume they should already have the skill. But I want people to understand that really, even though it's simple, it is still a skill. And so it just takes training. Like you wouldn't do a 21 day, you know, Japanese challenge if you had never taken a Japanese class. Right. You would first learn the language before challenging yourself to speak it for 20 minutes a day. Yeah. And yet everyone's trying to do these meditation challenges without any training and then they feel like they're failing and then they quit. And once you feel like a failure at something and quit, you're a lot less likely to start back. Yeah. Right. And so I just feel like people want to give it the respect that it is due and take the time to actually learn how to do it and take the time to research what technique is right for you. Yeah. And do you trust and respect the teacher? Because this is your effing brain. Like yeah. when people are like, what, I don't have time to meditate. I'm too busy. Like, shouldn't you just, just do you just sit in a chair? It's like, no. <laughs> I mean, it is simple, but. It, different styles of meditation impact the brain differently. Right. And so I think people want to really take care and take the time that it deserves to know how you're impacting the very machine that is in charge of every single decision you make and every single cell that your body prints. Absolutely. Right? So it's like this, this thing of like, I don't have time to meditate is something we have to put to bed. Because if you believe that stress makes you stupid, which it does, stress makes you stupid, sick, and slow, Stress is being called the black plague of our century, and it is also responsible for somewhere between 80 to 90% of all doctor's visits. That's some new science coming out of Harvard Medical School as well. Wow. 80 to 90% of all doctor's visits are related to stress. Really? Right? So if you agree, and then even if you don't agree, it's true, stress makes you stupid, sick, and slow. Yeah. And if you agree that meditation is the most powerful stress-relieving tool that we have, then this argument of I don't have time to meditate does not hold water anymore. Yeah. It's like, okay, do you have time to get sick three times a year? Do you have time to make mistakes at work at 4 p.m.? Do you have time to lose your temper on your kids and then apologize for two hours? Do you have time to not come up with those creative ideas that you need to in your new strategy sessions? Yeah. The answer is no. You do not have time for that. 100%. 100%. Well, and it's interesting because, I mean, like I started, you know, the first time I, I tried Headspace, like I was, like I'm about 30 seconds into it, and I'm like, uh, what? And after I started doing... Ziva. Working with doing Ziva mm -hmm. is, I mean, 20 minutes twice a day is like no problem. Yay! I mean, you know, the second one, 
hit or miss, but most of the times, but the first one in the morning, I'm, it's like the first thing I do every morning. I haven't even, I maybe miss like a handful of days. Awesome. And it's such a different technique and it's like, it's actually easier. You're allowed to have thoughts and you're allowed to like let those thoughts. I feel like it's just like these, like the stress is good. The thoughts are going out the window. It's like you're purging all these like thoughts or whatever it is. Yeah. And so it is that practice. And I found it actually really easy to like lock down 20 minutes. And I'll get up 20 minutes earlier just to meditate in the morning mm. because I know that it's giving my brain two to three times more rest. I know that it is... Um, helping me in that department mm-hmm. and I guess what would you say to people who are who have that uh, that hold back of oh but it's just taking too much time it's like mm-hmm. I'm too busy or yeah you know I know we talked about like the stress relief stuff yep. but in terms of like practical application yeah so I would say everyone is too busy to do something that they don't know how to do Mm. Right. So like if you haven't gotten any training yet, like, of course, you're too busy because you're going to sit down and you are going to waste your time because you're not you're going to be sitting there like you did with the headspace thing. Like, I can't stop my mind from thinking this sucks. No, my mind is too busy. My life is too busy. Like you'll keep finding evidence to support what you believe. Right. Mm -hmm. Our friend NQ has a quote. You will always find evidence for what you choose to believe. Mm, Right. Yes. And so. But once you have training and once you have a technique that's actually designed for you and one that's easy and where you start to see a return on investment, yeah. then then it becomes just like the argument makes itself. But here's some, a way I like to reframe this for people. Like, are you willing to invest 2% of your day to make the other 98% better? Because mm. that's, really, well, that's what Ziva Online is, 2% of your day, 15 minutes twice a day. The in-person training is 20 minutes twice a day, so it's 3% of your day. Yeah. But either way... Like, are you willing to invest 3% of your day to make the other 97% better? Absolutely. Like, that's the way to think about it, is that the return on investment is exponential. And what people report, like, time and time again, is that their sleep becomes more efficient. They get sick less often. Their to-do list that used to take them five hours starts to take them three. You know, ideas that they used to ruminate over for months, they can just make in seconds. Yeah. So it's, it's all of these, like, tangible, but also a little bit more esoteric benefits that are that are happening yeah, absolutely. That they're actually saving you time. Got it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So now you also have a, uh, a master class that's uh, three ways to manage stress. And mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, some people probably listening to this are like, oh my gosh, get me in. I want to start. And if they want to just like dive into Ziva online, then great. It's like a 15 day training. It's like 15 to 20 minutes a day for 15 days. And then once you move through that, you don't need me anymore. Like you'll have a twice a day practice you can do. You'll be self-sufficient with a practice you can take for life, which is awesome. Some people are probably like, uh, I don't know if she, she seems maybe crazy or it maybe <laughs> sounds too good to be true or I'm not sure, but I want to like learn a little more. And so we made this one hour free masterclass. It's called The Stress Solution. Three ways to manage anxiety so it doesn't manage you because that is true. If you're not managing your anxiety in this day and age, it is managing you whether you know it or not. Yeah. And so, the, and this goes a little bit deeper into the neuroscience behind mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. Mm-hmm. And I actually walk people through a mindfulness exercise and a manifesting exercise. So it's like, it's like a nice amuse-bouche. It's like a nice glass of water before you decide if you want to jump in the ocean. Got it. Got it. Love mm-hmm. it. Well, check it out. Yeah. Check and I think out. you have your own link that you'll be posting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll post mm-hmm. it up and, and link to it. And, yeah. Um, neonlife.com slash stress is Ooh. the is going to be the link so I like it. i'm saying it here but we'll also link it up in the show notes and i'll i'll reiterate it in the in the intros coming up but uh kind of last question like give us your top three books that you're reading right now Oof. 
Well, I just read a book. <laughs> Get ready, everybody. <laughs> I just read a book called Orgasmic Birth. Oh. And OMG, it is so good. <laughs> Really? It is the best book on birth. I'm, I, everyone should know I'm six and a half months pregnant right now. And so I'm reading like a million pregnancy books and labor books, which I've been obsessed with pregnancy and labor for like 11 years. And I, I actually, I have a whole course already written called The Blissful Birth, but I won't release it until I actually push a human through my vagina because I feel like I have no street cred right now. But once I have some street cred, I'm releasing this course like immediately afterwards because I think I'm really good at being pregnant and I love it so, so much. <laughs> and so I feel like pregnancy doesn't have to be hard. I haven't had any morning sickness. My sleep has been great. I'm not tired. Wow. I've been, I just traveled for four weeks speaking at conferences and being on TV shows and I feel amazing and awesome. I haven't been sick and like baby's going great. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see how everything plays out. But point of the story is that I'm very, very interested in reframing the way people think about pregnancy and labor, because what we know is that the entire blueprint for a human's entire lifetime of health is formed in utero. Yeah. So the stress of the mother, the diet of the mother, the activities of the mother, like this impacts the baby's health. And and so, and I know that pregnancy can be such a speculative and stressful and fearful time, but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. So anyway, this book called Orgasmic Birth, and I think they were trying to be a little controversial with it because most people, when they hear birth, they think, oh, it's horrible and painful and the worst thing ever. Yeah. But that has not been, I've witnessed some births and I've listened to probably 300 stories of people's births. And that doesn't have to be the way. Wow. So really when their definition of orgasmic birth is like a fully realized birth where the woman's body gets to go through the full hormonal release, all the oxytocin that bonds the baby to the mother. And it's yeah. sort of like an ecstatic thing and an yeah. ecstatic experience. So anyway, it. it's the best description of birth I've ever read. Great. Do I have time for the other two? Or should I just call it there? Yeah, no, I want to hear the other two. But one really quick question along that lines is, um, what does meditation do epigenetic wise? I know this is a, probably a big, deep question mm -hmm. um, for the baby while it's in the womb. Okay. So when you're pregnant is one of the times that you can actually meditate as much as is comfortable. Like usually with meditation, I give people a very specific prescription and it's like, you don't want to necessarily do more than that because more is not the same as better because you can actually make yourself raw and you can like speed up that emotional detox in a way that is too much. Mm. But when you're pregnant, you sort of can't meditate too much. So you can meditate as much as is comfortable. Any extra will just go towards the baby. And so basically just like when you're stressed, all the stress chemicals, that adrenaline and cortisol that are in your body are being absorbed by the baby. Similarly, oh. when you start meditating, you're producing dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. So the baby's getting to marinate in that as well. And, and I've had this, I mean, I don't have a kid yet, but I've had a few hundred students um, have kids, you know, that have gone through Ziva. And a lot of them are, it's like their second or third kid. And they just report how drastically different the pregnancy and the birth and the babies were that the babies come out like they call them little buddha babies oh, and they're wow. just like super chill and they're super happy i mean not all of the time but like that seems to be like a huge piece of feedback that i get that the mother's experience is so much more enjoyable and the baby seems so much more relaxed yeah um and so basically but like on an epigenetic level which is again epigenetics are the things that are turning on and off like the five percent of our genetic code that is fixed yeah and what we know is that when you're under environmental stress, emotional stress, chemical stress, food stress, like anything that's costing your body something, mm -hmm. it turns on or off your epigenetics in a way that's either favorable or unfavorable. And so the more you're healing your own trauma, the more you're healing things on your, on your, in your own cells, 
it's like you're changing what you're passing down to your child. And I've had some people come on my retreats that were like, you know, third generation or even sometimes second generation Holocaust survivors, like both Japanese Holocaust and the Holocaust in Germany. And I really felt so mm, thankful to play a role in in that, in the in the breaking of that lineage, mm. right? Of like the stress being passed down in that particular family tree. Um, and like, sure, and is it a total break? Probably not, but they might be passing down like 20% of the stress versus 80% of the right. stress. And I'm making up those numbers right now. That's not a scientific number, <laughs> um, but, but you know it and you see it. You see people who are like basket cases and they have kids and the kids are basket cases and you yeah. sort of inherit your your parents' neuroses. And, and maybe <laughs> some of that is genetic and maybe some of it is learned. But either way, if you really up-level not only your own cognition and cognitive behaviors, but also the actual health of your cells and your genes, then it's like, why not optimize that, especially if you're choosing to breed? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Other two books? Okay. I mean, they're all they're all birthing books, so I'm not sure this is going to be super relevant. Let me think of other books. That other I really books. Love. Other books. Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I'm having full baby brain. Actually, I'm just going to go ahead and say this because I used to recommend this to people even when I wasn't pregnant. Is this book called Hypnobirthing, um, which I read like 11 years ago when I was not pregnant, and I would literally give it to my male friends. Be like, look, I know you're never going to birth anything, but just read this book. <laughs> Because it's basically talking about a lot of these concepts that we've been talking about. It's talking about mm, using the nine months of pregnancy as a time to go in and clear out all your subconscious fears. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that's relevant even if you are not pregnant. Because a lot of our subconscious fears, a lot of the stuff that's stored in our body is impacting every decision that we make and every belief that we have. Yeah. Which is the, the silent rudder to our ships. You know, and so just to understand, it even gives you some like self-hypnosis techniques and tools. So even if you're not into, if meditation isn't hippy-dippy enough for you, you can just dive into some self-hypnosis. <laughs> um, there's one. I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to think of one non, mm, for whatever reason, this is dropping in right now. Um, but the war of art. That's a good one. Yeah. I feel like every creative entrepreneur should read that. And I think it speaks very much to this hustle and flow. Yes. Right? Absolutely. That it's like you got to show up every day and you got to go to war and you got to do the work of showing <laughs> up every day. And that's when inspiration drops in. You know, if inspiration is coming to the house and you ain't home, guess who's not getting inspired? <laughs> right? Like you have to be at the canvas ready for the muse to come. Absolutely. When the muse comes and you're not at the canvas, Bye. Bye. <laughs> and, and the thing is, like, if you think about, if you anthropomorphize nature and you anthropomorphize creativity itself, which means, like, humanize it or personify it. Yeah. Nature doesn't care which human, which extension of herself births the idea. Right. She just cares that it gets birthed. Mm -hmm. So if she's like, hey, Nick, I have this great idea for a painting. Hey, Nick, I have this great idea for a photo. But you're not home that day because you decided to whatever then she's going to go to the next painter and the next <laughs> photographer. There's a funny story that about Michael Jackson's manager, and he, he tells the story in the documentary, This Is It. And he says that Michael used to call him all the time at like 3, 4, 5 in the morning. And he would wake him up out of sleep, and, and his manager would be like, Michael, come on, it's 4 in the morning, what? And Michael would be like, fireflies. We need fireflies in the stage show. And his manager would be like, Michael, can we just talk about this tomorrow? And Michael would be like, no, get up, write it down, fireflies. <laughs> like, why do I have to do this right now? And Prince, and, and Michael goes, 
Because if we don't do it, Prince will. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and I just love this story so much because Michael knew. I mean, look at like what an innovator, right? Like yeah. he knew that if he got, when he got that inspiration, if he didn't bring it into fruition or bring it into the manifest, that the only person that was really creating at the same rate as him would get the download. <laughs> and that was Prince. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, amazing. Thank you for coming on My again. Pleasure. Number and three. I've so, won the podcast. <laughs> you won. You won. Thank you. No, I'm so excited to have you again because like, I just I believe in in what you're doing and acknowledge you for the the work that you're putting out there and the the changes that you're making in the world. Thanks. Really quick before we wrap up, can you share like top one or three things that have shifted for you since you started meditating? Yeah, I mean, I would say the top is just like the de-stress and like the grounding that meditation gives me, especially in the morning. I would also say it helps with jet lag on that LAX to JFK. <laughs> Which we always usually do. get a like, good two or three meditations in on that. And I feel much better when I land mm. on the other side. And then, yeah, I would say like it's helped with creativity and and helping me focus and, and stay grounded in the ups and downs of this business. Right on. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I believe in it 100%. It's so good. Cool. Well, thank All you right. for having me. And you're on Instagram. You're at Ziva. Oh, yeah, just at Medi- Ziva Meditation. So Ziva is Z-I-V-A, Sanskrit word that means bliss. We're on Instagram and Facebook and all the things at Ziva Meditation. Perfect. Well, we'll link everything up. So thanks again. Thank you. Bye, friends. Bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of Neon Radio with Emily Fletcher. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you could help us out by leaving us a good review over on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. You can also share the episode out with your friends over on social media. The episode number is neonradio.com slash EP142. And don't forget to take the Neon Life quiz over at neonlife.com slash quiz. And let us give you some free content to help you in your creative journey. And with that, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time.